Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that you and all of us can do a better job developing products that our customers love. Now, product managers, we are really proud of our craft and we like learning more about our craft. We do enjoy getting better. And if you are in a company that has a group of product managers or a product team, and you wanna help that group perform better, check out our sponsor, that's Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. Simply go to productmasterynow.com RPM. This is the fastest way to get a team of professionals contributing to product up to speed quickly, working better together. So go check that out. Tony Poon is with us today. He is the Chief Product Officer for R0. That's a biosafety technology company creating products for disinfecting shared spaces. And he has a long history in technology products that includes working at Texas Instruments, Logitech, AMD, where his customer there was actually Apple and many other cool companies as well. And Tony is going to help us investigate something rather interesting. And that's really what separates great product managers from the good ones, from the rest of us, right? Or great innovators from the rest as well. And it's the same skill that separates great leaders from the rest as well. And I would say it's also seen in great friends. So what is that skill? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's actually how do we ask the right questions? And we'll get into that in just a moment. As a reminder, if you wanna read about what we talk about, if you want a written summary of what we go into, as well as a one-page action guide to put into action the key takeaways from our discussion, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 394. Tony, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here, Chad. You have this long history in product, but you know, as I read about your background, I saw this thing about these, you know, the right questions. And you have the statement that you have shared, which is to find the right answers, you must first ask the right questions. Well, you know, we'll spend our time talking about, you know, really what are the right questions. But before getting into that, I'm wondering about some background, right? How you kind of came across this. Before we turned on the recording, we were both just nerding out a little bit because we both have <laughs> a tech background and have done some interesting things. And you studied computer engineering and have a lot of hardware experience in your, your early background here, for sure, working professionally. You know, as an engineer, I know I felt a lot of pressure usually in the in the circles I was in to know the right answer, right? <laughs> You're kind of expected to know the right answer. And Definitely. asking questions wasn't always high on the list of skills to develop. When did you start realizing this power of questioning? It's a really good question. Definitely coming from a hardware background, the stakes were always high because the mistakes take a long time to to fix, so to speak. And I think the most vivid moment that I realized was when I was an architect designing systems and I was working with product managers. And, you know, I would always ask like, hey, what are the features that you need? You know, and I would get a list of answers and I would come up with like the, the best architecture I can. And then, you know, a non-zero chance I was solving the incorrect use case. And what I realized was it was actually a responsibility of both parties to try to get to what exactly we're trying to solve, because unintentionally, we end up solutioning on things that we like with assumptions of what the problems are, rather than what the actual customer pain points were. So that definitely comes from a list of pain failures that led me to understand, like, if I don't really understand what the problems are, it's really hard to come up with the right solution. And the best way to do that is whether or not we're uncovering by asking the right questions. Understanding what the problem actually is isn't trivial, right? It's what product managers should be doing. It is the reason why Eric Ries wrote the book, you know, Lean Startup, because he developed a product that he thought for sure everyone would love and hardly anyone bought it. 
And a lot of product managers that have any number of years behind them have a similar experience, right? We brought something to market only to realize that the you know customers didn't really care about this. And yet we still keep doing that some of the time. So let's go back to this. <laughs> yeah, well, all of us, right? Of course, my thoughts about the product are going to be everyone else's, and they're correct, but that's usually not the case, actually. The statement of yours, to find the right answers, you must first ask the right questions. So we're exploring the problem, you know, the customer's problem a little bit, but let's dive into the characteristics of right questions. What are we trying to figure out with right questions? Yeah, you know, I think the catchphrase really is like asking the right questions, but often is it's all also in the sequence of questions to which that we ask, because ultimately we're probably not asking the question that is completely irrelevant, but it's really about, you know, are we framing the correct problem so we can continue to understand it better? So I think for me is about whether or not we're asking questions that are focusing on the context of the problem rather than the symptoms themselves. You know, a lot of times we're presented with either a list of attributes of a problem or even solutioning for, to a particular problem somebody can describe. And we always have an urge to like go into solution right away because we assume that we understand a problem because somebody described it to us. That must be the, what the right. problem is. And oftentimes, you know, either the person who's telling you what the problems are or yourself who are trying to understand a problem space are so excited about trying to resolve it that it ultimately became not enough coverage on the different facets of the root cause of the problem. You either end up solving only a portion of the problem or you end up missing the mark completely because it ended up not going to be used for the users to actually and intend to actually get their pain points solved. So one of the things that I care a lot about, at least for myself, is acknowledging the symptoms is really important, but really redirecting the team to focus their firepower on what exactly is the root problem that's causing some of the symptoms that you're seeing from what you're hearing directly from the customers. You know, the three whys are always a really good place to, I mean, not go to five because sometimes it just gets too deep, but three is usually a good number to get you to like a sufficiently good understanding of like, okay, are we like, you know, having a reasonable enough context of both the symptoms and the workflow and the problems themselves? So part of that was framing the problem, right? How do we think about the problem to begin with? Are we addressing the root cause instead of symptoms? I appreciated that you said that it's important to acknowledge the symptoms. I think sometimes that might just get missed that, you know, they, when people bring symptoms to us, if we're actually attuned to trying to discover the root problem, we might just kind of ignore them and say, hey, we got to back up more. But I think that is useful, right? That people recognize there were some issues here and let's get back to the root problem. I want to spend a moment asking you more about framing. I find this across the board as I'm talking to leaders and organizations or not just product managers, that framing the problem itself is often where the first mistake is made in terms of we go down paths that we can't do as well as we could have if we framed it differently. A long time ago, late 90s or so, guy doing some research on software development and problem framing. And he was with a group, let's explore this a little bit, and he gave half, the, there was a contest, he gave half the group a piece of paper on what to develop and present in 90 minutes, and the other half on what to develop and present in 90 minutes. And interestingly, it had nothing to do with software at all. And <laughs> one, group, one piece of paper basically said, in 90 minutes, come back with an item of furniture that is new, right, in some way innovative. The other team had a piece of paper that said, in 90 minutes, come back with something that you could sit on, set things on, or put things in. Something like that. Kind of describing what the furniture might be. 
Go figure, the more open framing of the problem led to the more innovative ideas. Tell us a little bit about maybe some experiences you had or just about framing or how you think about framing. There's no silver bullet, obviously. All of us are still student of this craft. I, I often try, first of all, to understand who is it that I'm serve, solving this problem for. Because uh, what I find a lot, especially in enterprise, the person who's describing to you what the problems are or the pain points may not actually be the person experiencing it. So when you find yourself potentially in that space, it's really important to recognize who you're talking to and whether or not they represent the true pain point and the workflow understanding of the problem that's being described. So that framing in itself, to me, like I've experienced enough pain around those to realize too late that, oh, we're talking to a third person that may not truly understand the motivations and drivers of the problems on hand. So that is a very good tool in my experience on making sure we don't even start. We realize we're talking to the source of the problem space. I love that advice. Make sure that we are we have the person who the problem is actually impacting framed as part of our description of the problem. And working on symptoms alone is not going to help lead us down the right path. The first big step in here that you've shared with us is asking the right questions involves first kind of framing the problem in the beginning that we're investigating and trying to get to root cause maybe through the three five wise tool and knowing that we're not working on symptoms. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com slash love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. Yeah, I think the second part of that is really understand what is it that the customer's trying to achieve as the outcome? Because what, what often, what at least from what I've encountered is different people do things differently. And there, a lot of it is based on preferences. There are no right or wrong. Just trying to solve for preferences often doesn't really yield the, the ultimate outcome because you actually didn't ask for what the outcomes are. You know, being able to uncover both the journey, but also explicitly outcome and the stakeholders of that outcome and success criteria of that ultimately becomes a required part of us to be able to say whether or not we're able to solve the problem sufficiently. Make sure we're focused on the desired outcome itself, okay, that job to be done, what they want to accomplish. Okay, so far so good. Uh, other insights about right questions? This is something I have 
often done and sometimes still catch myself doing, which is asking leading questions with a solution in mind. We all, we've all done that. I still do that every now and then because I feel like I, I kind of know what the problem is and therefore I'm going to like start jumping into like, hey, what if you had this? What if I could do that? There's a definite time and place for that. However, getting into that space too soon often leaves a lot onto the table and jumps right back into not being able to uncover fully the, what the problems are. So resisting the urge to jump into, you know, solutioning, questions around solutioning, it's paramount. Taking a pause, breathe, really write things down. And do you, are you convinced that there is a problem that's not coming from you and coming from the customer whom are actually experiencing these problems? If you're able to say that I've wrote that down, that makes sense to me, then like, yes, be creative, be innovative, you know, start to ideate and, you know, test out what might be the solution space that works or not. I think that's really challenging for us. The two things that are coming up for me as you've talked through this is, the framing of the problem, I think lots of us, we want to move into the solution as quickly as we can. That just feels better. That, that We're achieving something there. And backing up in some sense and maybe looking at the problem from different perspectives doesn't just feel like we're making momentum. Except maybe if we're used to doing that, right? But I think a lot of us are wired that we want to jump into the solution. And then these leading questions you just asked, th this gets hard. The longer that we've been around a problem... The work that you're doing now with R0 and creating systems to disinfect these shared workspaces, right? Certainly something needed in a COVID has made us all aware of. But, you know, any domain that we're working in for a while, we tend to kind of, well, we just get used to making the same assumptions, right? Yeah. And it's easy to jump into a solution. What are some suggestions we can come up with for listeners? How do you kind of pull yourself away from that and say, well, let's look at this from different perspectives? That's a really good one. One of the things that at least I personally try to do, which is like really check with myself, am I asking a question based on facts or based on assumption? And like, it's okay that we're experienced. It's okay that our assumptions are, you know, end up being right more often than not. And that's great. Like that's where experience comes in. But being cognizant of, hey, I'm asking this question because I'm heard and I'm reacting to something I heard from the customer, or I have an assumption here, I'm gonna ask this question. And like whatever answers you get, being able to know what was the source of the question will help you uncover how much weighting you put into the answers that you get and what conclusions you draw from them. And another way, and this is like in the you know forever interesting topic about empathy, like forcing yourself to use the customer's name and use a lot less I, actually it becomes somewhat tactically magical because it forces you to change the perspective and not impose too much of your assumptions into the way you're asking questions. Isn't that a great tip? Thanks for sharing that with us. It, yeah, you know, it's a simple thing to do, but instead of saying, I believe, I feel, you know, I even have some evidence about this, like Nancy has this experience and we can walk through Nancy's experience because this is what she told us. Bob said kind of the same thing. How do we deal with that? Yeah, it, it forces you to like mentally check, fact check every time you say that. Like, did, did this person mm -hmm. actually say that? Or did I say that now? I'm assuming that they are thinking about it the same way. So like, those are like little things that sometimes I use just to like check myself. And I would still, even today, often find myself like, oh, wait, like this person didn't say that. I think I, I thought they said that, right. but that actually wasn't true. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think this is really hard in organizations. The, the longer that we work on the same set of problems and we become domain experts, we tend to make the assumptions that our competitors are making and everyone else is making, right? And somehow we have to get back to this naive state of not, you know, somehow not actually knowing what the solution might be and better understanding the customer's problem. And empathy, right? So if we can literally walk in the customer's shoes in some manner and experience the problem with them, once again, that might give us some fresh eyes on it too. For sure. And I think that's where tools like journey mapping are quite interesting on being able to write down factually what are being done and what are the goals along the process. And it's from like a pure documentation state rather than, you know, the ideation state. That actually helps for you to fact check or double back as you come up with solution on mapping whether or not there's going to be impact on what actually is being done rather than what you think logically customers are doing. I wanted to ask you about some wrong perspectives on questions as well. And you offered one earlier, you know, leading kind of with the solution. Simple enough for all of us to do. I've done that too many times. <laughs> a wrong approach to questions, I think, is, you know, simply asking a customer, well, what is it you want? Yeah. Because right? then we're asking them to be a designer. What's some other things that, that come to mind for wrong or maybe less powerful questions that don't help us as much? I think statistically, when we get to, particularly if we get too early, which is what if you could, the what if questions are potent, but dangerous <laughs> because you get very clearly what customers' reactions are, but at the same time, they may be reacting to what you said rather than right. reacting to the impact and outcome of what it could do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I myself sometimes find myself like, being so excited about ideas and start jumping into what ifs. And you would get like really positive responses. You're like, yes, I knew it. And then what you realize later is like, they were reacting to the fact that it was a great idea. They weren't reacting to the fact that it connected to anything at all to their outcomes. So yeah, one of the parallels I draw with the team is like, if you go to my son, 10 year old or seven year old, you know, ask him like, hey, you know, would you like candy? Like you already know what the answers are. <laughs> It's very different when you ask them, what snack do you want? So like you, you get extremely different perspectives and you could run very different directions depending on how literal you take the answers. I hope we all remember that. That's such a great, simple analogy, right? So what candy would you like versus what snack do you want? Yeah, would you like a candy or what snacks do you want? Like it's, 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 I find myself giving out a lot of candy back then and I realized, wait, don't ask kids this question because you know the answer. <laughs> That the wisdom of being a parent comes through. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. And that's framing the problem again, right? That's right. And in some way, we're leading people down a path. I have at times also had people, they're not just leading the customer, but they're telling the customer how things are. The customer will respond with some information and the product person will say, oh, that's not really how our product works. Let me explain, you know, how you should be using it at this point or something. They're kind of interrupting yeah. the description of the problem, right? Have you seen that? I, <laughs> far too often, which is like applying logic to customer behavior. I, I think that's actually the other way around, right? Which is like, hey, customers are behaving this way because something is illogical or you don't understand how they work. It isn't like you're not using it right. That's like almost always the wrong answer, <laughs> right? The customer's know their problems the best and therefore will always use the most optimal way of solving it. Some of it may be preferential, but nevertheless, they're using it the best way they can. 
Our job is to, how do we solve problems rather than, hey, here's the right way of using a tool. If you only have done that, you would succeed. Well, the first answer you're going to get from the customers, I don't want, want to do that. I don't use it that way. Either you help me or you don't. It's the same thing applies to assumptions around customer workflows. The appreciation for everybody has reasons for doing things certain way. And it's not all driven by the most optimal logic. Sometimes it's muscle memory. Sometimes it's industry compliance. Sometimes it's organizational complexities. And not all of it has to be logical. And to apply logic and say, well, it, it should work this way. We'll optimize it. It'll work better for you, right? More than half the time that I've encountered those situations, we end up being wrong because we didn't appreciate the complexities of what their customers have to deal with every day. All right. And I think one of your kids that would like some candy, I hear in the background too, but maybe, maybe we should give him a snack instead. <laughs> it was all good. I wonder if you have an example you could take us through a little bit. I don't know, you know, like a, a customer interview or just an interaction or maybe in the workplace, a, a problem. You figured out that some of the right questions that need to be asked. I have lots of those. This was not in my, not in my current capacity, but you know, before I was in a, any industrial drone company, we were doing scanning for people to understand what's happening in the spaces outdoors and, you know, doing 3d modeling and stuff like that. You know, one, one of our type of customers in mining and uh, what happens in mining is lots of regulations. People want to keep it safe. And inevitably one of the things that they do is they have mining safety engineers that walk around the mine to make sure things are compliant. And, you know, a customer comes to us and say like, hey, our compliance checks are really manual and takes a long time. And can you make it more efficient? And then, you know, engineers like ourselves, we jump to action and say, yep, we have this drone. It will fly there autonomously. We'll use machine learning. We'll like automate, automatically annotate. It will like, it will be great. You won't even need human beings. And it's awesome. And I'm still excited if I, if I got to build that because it's just cool. But what we guys was... We actually had no idea why they needed to do that and what was driving their workflow and therefore inefficient. The root problem ended up not being the fact that it was just inefficient. The root problem ended up being there were regulations in the industry that required people to physically walk the site in order for a certified professional to sign off on the fact that there is a problem and therefore document and therefore, you know, lots of red tape. But nevertheless, it is required, you know, you know, without knowing that, we would have built a solution that they could, would be awesome, but could not use. Right. You know, by us taking a pause and like really starting to understand like, hey, why are you doing that? Like, why do you have to walk the site? And you uncover what ultimately led us down to a different path, which is like, hey, since you have to walk the site, what we're going to build for you is a mobile app that helps you provide high precision GPS documentation while you're offline because these mining sites are like, you know, no internet connectivity, mobile apps do not work. But if we make one that work, you would streamline, make it easier, make it more organizable, at the same time, make it more predictable. So it led us to a completely low tech, different solution. But it was because we finally understood a little bit better about why they were doing certain ways, therefore led to efficiency rather than solving efficiency as a symptom. That's a good example. And as soon as you express the problem and knowing that you put it in the context of industrial drone company, right? I'm already thinking with you, like, yeah. oh, what are the things we can do without really having an understanding of why this is a problem and what are the elements? 
And we, once again, we need to back up, not make those assumptions, frame the problem properly and understand the problem more deeply from the customer's perspective. Yeah, I still would have loved to build that autonomous drone solution, though. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that would have that's been the very nerd cool. in me speaking. Nerds unite. That's very important. You've given us lots of good insights about asking the right questions, right? And thinking about, are we really getting to the root problem, the root cause, framing things properly, not making assumptions? Some tools along the way we might consider, like a journey map that we can use to kind of fact check ourselves as well as we're going and making sure that we're thinking from that customer perspective and not someone else's perspective that doesn't actually count. I'm curious about just your perspective on, I'll not get this probably verbatim, but the famous quote from Steve Jobs about, you know, don't listen to your customers. They don't know what they want. Do you have a perspective on that? You know, I don't think that's actually what he meant. I think it was mm -hmm. definitely one of those quotes that jolt you into trying to think about what is the right thing to do. I, I think it's the opposite that he was trying to say, which is listen to what the problems are, yeah. regardless of who's telling you what the symptoms are. That's been my take as well. Asking the right questions helps us understand the problem, what their objective is. You give us some good things to think about in that area. Speaking of quotes, we do love innovation quotes around here. And I asked you to bring one for us. And can you just describe that, what that means to you? Yeah, well, lots of quotes to learn from, to be honest. And I'm not one of those that come up with quotes, but I can certainly quote certain ones that really resonate with me. And this one, I think, is really relevant to the conversation here. It's controversial who actually came up with the quote. You know, many people said this came from John Dewey. American philosopher. And it's a problem well stated is a problem half solved. And there's a lot of truth in that. You know, we're in a business of hiring the best, but hiring the best is only half of the equation. They will solve whatever problem you throw in front of them. But if you don't find the right problem, you're not going to get the outcome that you need. That's a powerful quote. Fits well exactly what we've been talking about is making sure you frame the problem and understand it well. Uh, same thing. I, this is attributed to Einstein. I don't think he ever said it, you know, but basically if I had one hour to solve a problem, I spend the first 55 minutes understanding it. And then the last five minutes because the problem, the solution would kind of be self-evident after that. Understanding the problem is really important and asking the right questions about it is really important. Tony, really appreciate all the information. How can people find out more? This sounds like a fascinating company. If you want to tell us just a little bit about R0, what that company is doing, the work that you're contributing to that. And if people want to reach out to you, how can we make all that happen? Yeah, absolutely. R0, you know, is one of the most important missions I've been able to be a part of. You know, what we're trying to do is, you know, trying to create safe indoor spaces for folks. Certainly a relevant topic nowadays, but even, you know, as we move beyond, you know, some of the current unfortunate situations, infectious diseases are just everywhere. And we've kind of, as a species, grown to accept the fact that they often are still hurtful and their mortality rate around them, it just doesn't need to be that way anymore. There's technology that people can easily deploy at scale to meaningfully reduce our risk of being exposed to you know, pathogens. And that's the mission that we have. We want to someday be able to say that we meaningfully reduce sick days for people and creating better health outcomes. And anybody who's interested in talking about it or even want to kind of join the mission, you know, please, by all means, reach out. I'm always happy to talk about it. You can reach us at rzo.com or just reach out, talk to me on like anything product management. I, I will always learn from the email address is uh, tonyp at rzosystems.com. Look forward to chatting with you. Thank you so much, Tony. Really appreciate the information. And it's just a delight to talk with you. The kids in the background there will reinforce the candy question for me. And <laughs> I will be sharing that one in the future, right? Are we asking for candy or what snack do you want? 
<laughs> well, very vivid to me still every day. Thanks for having me here, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. And listeners, just as a reminder, if you want the written detail of everything we discussed, plus that one page action guide to put into action key takeaways that Tony shared with us, just go to productmasterynow.com slash 394. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.